Um, so to start with, um, James is a half-brother to Jesus. So Joseph and Mary had children together after Jesus was born. Um, I know that the Roman Catholic institution teaches things contrary to that. They teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin and a number of things that are untrue. Um, I, I always have the temptation um, and I have to guard against myself about running after those details um, and uh, making an entirely different study out of what I had intended and what the Lord intends. But it is as simple as that, that Mary and Joseph had children. The scripture, the Bible itself tells us that, right? That that Mary and Joseph had other children. Gives us the name of James. Gives us the name of Jude, which if you've read the book of Jude, half-brother of Jesus. So if you have some big dilemma over that, Send me an email, um, you know, talk to me after church, and we'll sort through um, your thought process on that. But the scripture is very clear uh, on these things. Um, you know, I, I know I'm chasing a little bit of a rabbit trail. Uh, you know, Jesus confronted the religious leaders, uh, saying that they honored their traditions above the word of God and thereby nullified the word of God in so doing. And he said, and many such things you do. <clears throat> we don't want to hang on to some dead ritual of the church that the scripture itself has proven to be wrong, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. We want to hold to the authority of the word of God. And, and let it minister to us. And it makes a great significance when you start to study this, understanding this is written by a man that grew up witnessing the life of Jesus Christ and rejecting Jesus for who he was, not embracing him as the Messiah. You know, we've talked about the fact in the book of Mark they get word that Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of God. And there the Holy Spirit records that they, thinking him beside himself, and just so we understand, that's a real term of insanity, right? Uh, the, the ancient world used that term to refer to someone that was insane because they would talk to themselves, okay? And they would argue with themselves. And so the summary became, they're beside themselves. Right? They're talking to someone that isn't there. They're arguing back and forth and talking back and forth. And so the, the generalized term became that crazy people are beside themselves. So they think Jesus is nuts and they go to collect him. They're going to stop his ministry. And they show up, and the crowd says, your mother and brother are outside, or your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus there rejects them by saying, who are my mother and brothers? Except for those here in this room that do the will of my heavenly Father. 
Okay, so so for a time, there was a mutual rejection. Okay, uh, uh, Jesus rejecting his family because they were rejectant of him. Uh, James has come to the place where here at the beginning of the book, he says, James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's dramatic, right? A bond servant uh, from the Levitical sense of things is someone who chose for a number of different reasons, a number of different possibilities, they chose to make one master their master for the rest of their lives. They would go to the master and request it. It might be right in the beginning of their need, or it might be after they had served for a number of years, but they would go to the master and say, I want to serve you for the rest of my life. Bound to one master is the idea, bond servant, right? All of the other occasions of being a servant for a Jew serving another Jew was for a specific number of years until they would reach the year of Jubilee and they would be set free. Their debt would be canceled and they would be set free. The bond servant is attaching themselves to one master for the remainder of their life. And he, he would request that of the master. If the master, had, you know, one, accepted or two, had the ability to accept, because some people are like, I can only afford you for five years or whatever. So if he had the ability to, yes, you will be my servant for the rest of your life. They would. The ceremony was they would take them to the doorpost of the house and they would stretch their earlobe over the door and put an awl upon their earlobe and they would nail them to the doorpost of the house, their earlobe, pierce their ear, remove that, and put a golden ring in their ear, symbolizing the chain, the golden ring, symbolizing the chain of slavery that they were attached to one master's household for the rest of their lives. And, and the symbol isn't lost on believers such as us, the ear the hearing of the master's commands are attached to that household for the rest of his life. He's going to listen to the commands of his master and obey them for the rest of his life. James, right? I have two older brothers. One is in the presence of the Lord. He passed away some years ago. But I have two older brothers, and I'm never going to refer to either one of them as my master. Right? Never. Love them both. Uh, but I am not their bondservant, you know. Uh, this man has come to realize who Jesus is. And he has submitted his whole life. The remainder of his life has submitted, been submitted to one that he thought was just, you know, goody two sandals, you know, better than everybody else. Crazy. He's now his bond servant. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings, he says. Now, the twelve tribes are scattered abroad according to James and other passages. Here the term used is the diaspora, right? The scattering of seed. 
you know, you scatter the, the spores get scattered and then the subsequent plant grows, right? The seed is scattered and the church grows. So he's even in what he's saying, he's saying it in a very positive, encouraging way. When in fact, what they're experiencing is the tortured, persecuted torment of them being driven from their homes. They're being driven all over the world by the persecution of the Jews and Rome. And he's saying, oh, this is the diaspora. This is you being scattered for the purpose of planting the church. Right? There's a deep meaning behind this idea. Now, they weren't thinking of it that way. They weren't thinking of it in a positive light of this is God's purpose for our lives. You know, We were the most successful business people in the city of Jerusalem yesterday, and today we're in absolute financial ruin because every debtor that we have came to us, demanded full payment, and basically shuttered our business. No one will buy anything from us anymore. They plummeted into starvation and poverty. You know, wealthiest men in Jerusalem, literally, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, right? Their children were slave labor in less than three years. You know, when uh, Nicodemus's daughter was married, uh, it was recorded in history that there had been no greater celebration in Jerusalem's history. Okay, and in three years, she was found working as slave labor, cleaning tables and preparing meals. Massive plummet. You know, we read these things and they're, you know, sort of like historic poetry. And you go, oh, isn't that quaint? <laughs> to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, greetings. You know, never picturing the fact that the scattering abroad was tormentuous, difficult, very, very hard for them to experience. Consider that the next time you find yourself in the most dire of circumstances and you're having to consider where, you know, where did God go? Like yesterday things were so awesome and today and like, you know, it is so black, I can't believe it. This is the hardest thing I've ever even heard of, let alone been through. God allows these things, okay? So, so consider what James is about to say in this process. Greetings to the 12 tribes of believers, right? These are Christians he's talking to. This isn't just the nation of Israel. This is those that have surrendered their lives to Christ and they're suffering the consequences in various degrees. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, he doesn't say, when you find, find yourself in difficult circumstances, it's going to be really easy to take and very pleasant. He says you're going to have to count it all joy. That's literally, the, the idea is, you're going to need to do the calculations. 
You're going to have to do some long math to get to the final answer of, hey, this is a joyous thing. It's not just automatically 1 plus 1 equals 2. You don't just get to look at your circumstance and say, oh, I can see the joy in this. Right? You're going to have to go through the process and, and understand the calculation which equals the joy that the Lord intended. He, and he explains the long math to us right here. So count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And here's how the equation goes. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now we'll, we'll take each leg of this slowly and mechanically, right? So uh, you, you want the, you know, growth of your faith that's going to, you know, be so beneficial to you. Uh, that happens through trials, according to this equation, through trials that test your faith. I've heard people often remark that they understood they needed patience and that they had begun to pray that the Lord would give them or teach them patience. And I just step back and say, brace yourself. <laughs> right? Because how that comes is through your patience being tested. You know, God will move you from that cushy, comfortable, well-paying job to one that's extraordinarily difficult and underpaid with the most difficult person the planet has ever created. And you're going to have to endure. You know, and meanwhile, we're screaming our head off of, God, give me patience. And he's saying, it's standing right next to you. The one that is aggravating you beyond belief, that's what I've sent to you. You know, this is the no, no pain, no gain theory, right? You want to bench press a refrigerator? You're going to need to start with a 45-pound bar at some point. You're going to have to lay down on the bench and put the weight up. You want to get to the point where they're going to rack so much metal on each side of your head that it's going to take two guys to stand there and make sure that you don't decapitate yourself. You're going to have to start at a very low capability and work your way up. Strength comes through the process. And God doesn't just wave a magic wand over your head. Yesterday, you know, you were a constant powder keg of insanity that blew up at every single moment and you finally heard your wife saying that you needed to get a handle on your temper and God give me patience and he waves a magic wand and now you're just magically the nicest person anyone's ever met. That doesn't happen. It does not happen. Right? We 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 live under the delusion and our and our enemy, listen, our enemy will convince us that's how it's going to happen. Okay, something more practical? I know a lot of people that I, you know, God's put me in the environment where I deal with drug addicts and alcoholics a lot because of my own history. And that's very often what they're thinking and hoping for. Oh, I want deliverance from this. 
May God just wave his magic wand over me and I won't have the desire anymore. No, absolutely not. That's not going to happen. The, the biggest thing that's going to give you freedom from those types of circumstances is you submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit giving you enough strength to have self-control. That's a that's a you know elicited as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control. There's many false teachers that stand in the pulpit and that teach and act like God's got a box of magic tricks and he just flings them out upon certain people. Aren't those people annoying? Who were all messed up and they prayed a prayer and instantaneously they didn't have any of those desires anymore? That's really frustrating for the rest of us, right? And and, I'll, and here I'll remind you, right? We're studying through the book of Mark on our Sunday evening service and Right, Jesus does just touch certain people and they suddenly have full vision, blind all of their lives. But then there are others, right, that he spits in their eyes and they can see, but men look like trees walking around, right? And then later, moments later, they're healed, complete progressive healing. Strange methodology. The Lord doesn't, you know, heal, deliver each one of us the same way. For a lot of people, there is a progress that takes place. You know, my life's verse, uh, you know, I know it belongs to a lot of other people too, but Philippians 1.6 Paul saying to the church at Philippi, I'm confident of this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, even unto the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a difficult birthing process, right, for some of us. You know, I, I've seen the frustration on women's faces when they hear about childbirth. Oh, mine was simple. I track and track. They put me in the hospital and, boom, you know, three and a half minutes later, and then you talk to the gal who's like, oh, I was in hard labor for like 46 hours, you know. You know, it would be nice if all things went. It's not. You know, look at what he's saying here. Let patience have its perfect work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So now here's another part of the equation. God apparently measured you and noticed you were lacking something. And so he subjected you to the difficulty. How about that? Job, right? That whole interchange between Satan and God in the throne room. When he says, have you considered my servant Job? God says that to Satan. That, again, sounds very poetic. What it says in the Hebrew language is, have you militarily set your sights and targeted my servant Job to see whether he can withstand your assault? <laughs> Thanks for nothing, man. You know, I was content to be over here as a camouflage target. 
not getting hit by anything. And you put me up in front of the most effective sniper in world history, right? That's what God did to Job. And and if you think that I'm exaggerating the circumstance, right? Job is told in the midst of that that God did this intending to refine him as gold. Darn it. <laughs> I I was content being, you know, I don't know what, pyrite? <laughs> you know, I, I was content uh, to be tin or um, whatever, or, you know, unrefined. <laughs> Just chunk, oh, clod, oh, dirt. I, I did not want, I had no personal need for betterment. And God says, no, you did. And that's why I'm putting you through it. Consider it pure joy whenever you're faced with trials of many kinds. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Right? We like the road of least resistance. If I can do my whole Christian walk from a lazy boy with a remote control in my hand, I would prefer that. If someone could bring me the Hagen Dazs, you know what I'm saying? I just, I'll, I'll stay right here. And that's not what God's called us to. Difficulty, challenge, growth, and then here's the real punchline in the end, service. Working for and doing for others. That's what God has called us to, right? Because we would love, hey, turn me into a trophy. Polish me up. Set me on a shelf. Show me off to the world. Oh, I got to get in the gutter? I, I was not really wanting to sign up for that either. He wants us to work and sacrifice and serve him. This is, listen guys, this is what we were designed for. Designed for. Every human being was in fact designed for this. Selflessness and service to others. The most disappointing experience you'll ever have in your life is being selfish. That, that'll just lead you to a place of heartache and ruin. It's, it's when we're emptying ourselves and doing for others that we find our greatest fulfillment. If any of you lacks wisdom, he then says, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It will be given to him or her. Do you lack wisdom? Okay, so the first application, there's a greater general application, but the first application is, okay, why is this junk happening to me? What is the refinement about? What are you trying to teach me, God? Why am I being put under this much pressure? He'll show you. He'll show you what's lacking in you. It's amazing how oblivious we are to ourselves, isn't it? We don't we don't see ourselves at all. Oh, we can see I can see all of my flaws in you perfectly. <laughs> don't even notice them in myself. You know what I'm saying? 
I'm very comfortable with them in myself. I just, you know, they're not bothersome at all. When you do the exact same thing I do, drives me up a wall. It's interesting how tolerant we are of ourselves. Right? Do you lack wisdom? Right? Why, why am I being tested? What is this trial? What is this strain? Why am I going through this? He'll give you wisdom. He'll answer you. You have the assurance of the word of God that he will answer you. That's, that's very significant. I know you read it. I know you hear it. I know you understand it. But it's very important that you thoroughly engrave this in yourself. I need to know stuff. Ask of God. He will give, as the, the NIV says, you know, generously to all without finding fault. Meaning he doesn't measure you. Right? It's important you understand this. Most of you know what follows after this, but before we move in the concept, it's important that you take this step because the biggest reason the doubt enters in is because of our failures. God doesn't measure you and then say, eh, okay, not too bad. I'll give them some wisdom. Do you lack wisdom? Let you ask of God who will give generosity to all without finding fault. He doesn't measure. He doesn't go, look, I, I see you're in need of wisdom. And I would love to give it to you, but you have been a jerk all day. So, you know, maybe tomorrow. You've been, you've been a bonehead for three years, and I see you're desperately in need of wisdom. And you're asking me right now, but... Um, how about um, you walk a straight and narrow line for three months, and if you're doing good at the end of three months, then come back and we'll talk about whether I'm going to impart. He doesn't do that. Okay. Now, now here's the honesty of the thing. We do behave like that, don't we? We behave that way with people, and that's why we have this perception of God's interaction with us this way. Because of our corruption, we, we have an ingrained in our hearts that God is corrupt like us. And when we ask for wisdom, right? And, and, and let's, let's read what he says because it has application here. It will be given to you, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Okay, Up and down, up and down, the waves of the sea. Right? Have you ever gotten seasick before? Right? Around here on the coastline, many people have. Worst case I ever got, <clears throat> been on lots of boats, lots and lots of boats. Worst case I ever got was working on a yacht for one of the local yacht companies, lying upside down on the hull of the ship underneath the cabinetry wiring. So I'm working on radar and control console upside down and the boat's rocking, you know. And uh, after like 20 minutes, I'm thinking like, whoa, I'm kind of getting a headache. And another 20 minutes, I'm like, holy cow, I must have like had something for lunch. This is, I'm so sick. And I hang on. I've got to continue and I continue until it drives me off the boat. And I'm thinking, like, maybe I need to go to the hospital. I haven't made the... I'm that dumb. So, anyway. 
It's when I step on land. The doc didn't even do it for me. It's when I step on solid land and all of my symptoms begin to just normalize. Like everything starts to like, you're okay. Like, oh, I'm not anywhere near as nauseous. And like, maybe I don't need to punch out. And like, I'm feeling a lot better. And then I realize, oh, wow, that's probably seasickness. I confirmed it by getting back on the boat. And just, I, mean, I haven't even gone back down to work. I just get on the deck in the motion. Immediately regenerates everything. And I'm like, okay, I'm done for the day working. I'll go find other things to do. I'll work in the shop. But I can't get back on the boat right now. Listen, blown and tossed like the waves of the sea. God, I need wisdom. Here you go. Wisdom for you, kid. Great, I believe. Friend says, I don't think so. I appreciate that you're a Christian and all. But, you know, we live in real life out here. Have you looked at your circumstances? And you go, maybe I didn't hear from God. Moments ago, you were 100%. Yes, I need wisdom from God. Please give it to me. He said, here you go. I said, yes, amen, and rushed off to act upon the things God had given me in faith. Now doubt has entered in. I've gone from the heights of, yes, God answered me, to, oh, my word, no, it's horrible. And then fellow Christian comes along and says, hey, how you doing with trusting God on the answer he gave you? And you're like, I do need to do That's right. And yay, hooray. And no, I doubt. And yay, hooray. And up and down. And then you talk to friends and they're sick of talking to you. You're making them seasick with your up and down. You completely nauseated yourself. Do you believe him or do you not believe him? And it needs to be that cut and dry. It needs to be that cut and dry. This is what the Lord is doing in these circumstances. Yeah, right. You're a Jew in Jerusalem, you know, right after Jesus Christ's ascension, massive persecution, your life's just being ground to a pulp. And you're calling out to God and he's giving you answers. Are you going to trust him or not? Right? I'm watching people do this right now, literally in our environment. I'm watching it all over the place. Getting emails, phone calls. I had to, I'm going to have to quit my job. They tell me I got to have the vaccine. What did God tell you? Well, God told me to stay at my job and trust him and that it was all going to work out. Well, are you going to do that? Well, I was, but then I talked to my friend. I was trusting him wholeheartedly, but then I watched the news. <clears throat> you know, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told, you hear the music, you better hit the dirt face down and worship the golden statue. And they stood up and said, no way. And then they were shown the fiery furnace. And I'm sure that their hearts sank. I'm sure it did. And the panic must have at least run through their body. And I love their response, don't you? When they say, look. The furnace is going to deliver us from you. One way or another. 
burn us to ash. We won't have to listen to you anymore. Or deliver us through the fire, and then you're going to have to shut your mouth. And we all know how that played out, right? There's a whole Israeli army facing Goliath, and they shake in their boots when that man comes out and roars at them. And then one 17-ish year old kid shows up, and what does he have to say, right? Filled with <laughs> crazy faith, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would blaspheme our God like this and you men would all stand around and put up with it? Imagine how intimidating it must have been to have all of those Israeli soldiers say to the 17-year-old boy, who do you think you are? We're seasoned veterans clothed in armor. And you're a wet-faced shepherd here. They don't even know if he's got a sling at the moment. Let alone what he's capable of doing with it. right? Why does he have the faith that he does? Right, Because he's killed the bear and he's killed the lion. Have you experienced God's victories in small areas of your life? Right? That were big to you, lion and bear. But one-on-one, -on -one, God handled things with you, and now you're facing the big one. You, you've got to trust the wisdom he's giving you. It's going to sound ludicrous, right? God, what do I do in this situation? Just trust me. And everybody else around you says, you really are crazy, aren't you? And you can look them in the face and say, yep, call me crazy. Here we go, right? You've heard the explanation, that term fan is derived from the word fanatic. If you love your sport team and you paint half of your face one color and the other half another color and you scream in the crowd and jump up and down, Everybody goes, well, that's acceptable. It's football. But if the world's pressing hard upon you and you just stand up and quietly say, I trust Jesus, they go, that guy's a lunatic. You can trust the Lord. And the doubt will destroy your faith. Any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault but let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the lord not because the lord is measuring you saying i'd love to but you're double-minded no it's because the double-mindedness nullifies what he gives you the promise is i'll give it to you so if you've asked and he's spoken to you, then there you go. Receive the wisdom. Accept it wholeheartedly. If you're going to doubt, then never mind. Never mind. It's a useless thing to you. 
Because the double-mindedness robs you of it. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You can identify this within yourself and in others from the outside. If you can look across your life and say, I did believe him and then I didn't believe him. And I did and I didn't. And I do and I don't. Okay, hear me in this and take this whole thing together. Don't be discouraged. Hear me in what I'm saying to you. You need to analyze yourself as being double-minded and stop doing that. Stop being double-minded because it's not just in that one area. You're double-minded and unstable in all of your ways. So, so sometimes, you guys, if we couple this together, the trials that he's allowing to come is nothing more than to expose to ourselves the fact that I'm not functioning in faith. And I don't function in faith. I believe and then I doubt. I'm double-minded. Become singular of mind. Learn to become singular of mind. And listen, there is a trial and error process. God, speak to me. And you think he spoke to you, and then you move forward, and it fails. And you go, God must not have spoken to me. What you just learned was, in that moment, what you thought was God leading you was something else. Learn when it's God and when it's not. Right? We all have that struggle, don't we? Right? Convincing ourselves we've heard from God when we haven't. Right? If you learn the process, what you'll get very used to is knowing your shepherd's voice. Right? Because the world has a voice, does it not? And and let's be blunt. You have a voice of your own, don't you? And those sound at times very similar to the voice of God. And you learn over time when you're hearing from God and when you're not. It's not wasted energy to learn that process. right? You can be presumptuous. I'm hearing from God. And you march off into disaster. <laughs> and everyone around you is going, I, I don't think so. <laughs> not not as much as you think, you know. Learn. Learn from that process to hear the voice of God, to hear the voice of your shepherd leading you. Right? I I've had it I've I've had occasions I'm not I'm not trying to imply that like I'm super spiritual and I've just got like this perfectly tuned ear. Uh, I I have had occasions where Everything about a certain circumstance looks beautiful. And, and in the background, I hear a voice in my heart and mind. I'm not insane hearing voices, but I've heard a, a voice in my heart and mind say, no, that's not it at all. Everything about the circumstance looks right. And there's a still small voice in the back of my heart saying, not the right answer. And I've proven that the still small voice was right by ignoring it. 
And you proceed forward and disaster. I, I Forgive me for my repetition again, but the most blatant example of this was working for a company where I could just show up and decide how much money I was going to make today. You know? Good money or, like, ridiculously good money? How much effort you want to put in, man? You know, we were taking care of the digital rebuild in this state for what was then Adelphia. Change hands, Time Warner, change hands, Spectrum, right? Cable company. We're hanging cable all over the state. If I want to work real hard and do a whole bunch of jobs in a day, I get paid per job. If I want to do the minimum jobs, then I just get a good paycheck. You want the incredible or the, you know, normally good. And I decide I need a new truck. After all, I deserve it. And I walk in and I see the one I want and I just, you know, like a peacock, spread out my feathers and say, I want that one. And they say, great. Sign on the dotted line. And the still small voice in the back of my mind is saying, you're not going to want to do that. And I'm thinking, I got it made in the shade, man. Just no big deal. This is no big deal. They can take this payment out of me every month, and I'm not even going to feel it. I can effortlessly do this. And I sign on the dotted line and I roll out with my brand new truck. And two weeks later, they put the CEO of Adelphia in jail for embezzlement. And I arrive at work and my boss says, yesterday was your last day. <laughs> we'll be gracious and pay you for today while you unload all of our equipment from your truck. And a week later, I'm having to decide between do I make the truck payment or buy groceries for my family. And I took some time to learn that I was listening to my own voice, not the voice of my shepherd. It was a very painful lesson. Today, you know, it was a minor lesson. At the time, it was a powerful lesson. It was a very powerful lesson. We learn over time. And listen, don't be scared of the failure. Don't be double-minded. Learn how to hear his voice and function according to that. Right? Because the stability it creates. The stability it creates. You'll be in situations and everyone around you will be screaming, No! And you're hearing a still small voice say, Yes, you can trust me. We can move forward. And you move forward. And vice versa. Right? Everyone around you, they've done all the math. And they're showing you how it all works. And saying, We need to. Sign on the dotted line. And there's a voice inside saying, Don't do it. And you need to learn to trust that voice. And listen, it's not, it's not as simple as experience. It's not as simple as experience. Because very often the voice of our shepherd contradicts all of the external circumstances. 
And that's what we need to learn to listen to. What he's saying to us, not what the circumstances are saying. You want to become stable. You want to become a person who truly does hear the voice of God and obeys. Then you need to subject yourself to the teaching and the learning process that your Heavenly Father will put you through. We've got a few more minutes. Let's move ahead. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. The world has this whole mentality that if you are impoverished, that you're somehow cursed. This world, in the ancient world, absolutely had that. If you were not wealthy, then they literally had the mindset that something was wrong between you and God, and God was cursing you. Okay? If you don't think that's in our culture, let me go the opposite direction, which this culture did also. If you are incredibly wealthy, then clearly you are on God's team. This was their mindset. Someone incredibly wealthy, they're probably pretty close to being sinless. That was their mindset. You need to just respect people that are wealthy. Okay, think about what we read in Hebrews, right? We're in James. Hebrews wasn't that long ago. The prophets and those that were most honorable to God and the church were homeless, impoverished, living in caves, dressing in animal skins. And the scripture says, and the world was unworthy of them. Persecuted, beaten, stoned to death, sawed in half, and the world was unworthy of them. When we see somebody in our culture that has wealth, there's an automatic assumption of, oh, I should probably bow down right now. You know, clearly, clearly they're wise, clearly they're educated. You know, the Southerners have lots of little quibs. I love them. The one that I heard in regard to this just always cracked me up. They say, that man right there is educated far beyond his intelligence. (laughs) Right? Education doesn't equal wisdom. Okay? Knowledge does not equal wisdom. Now, it's a beautiful thing when those two things are coupled together. That is is a cool thing, to hang out with somebody who is both incredibly educated and profoundly wise. Education doesn't equal that always. We want to be very careful. Oh, Dr. So-and-so, big deal. Have you seen what some of those people are doing? Have you read? Right? Bad businessman. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Right? And he gives the example here of how quickly that happens. Right? 
spring up beautiful, fade off, gone, just as quick as they came, they're gone, passing away. No sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes so that the rich man also will fade. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. No, that dude finished and he was still on top of his game and still had all the money in the world. Right. Ten out of ten people die. And what's that old thing? You've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. You don't take it with you. For all of the magnificence, it's over. It's done. The, the beauty is not there. I, I have had the fortunate experience over the years of meeting a number of people in my life who were impoverished, uneducated, and profoundly wise in the Lord. Had opportunity to be around them and work with them and learn from them. And, you, and after a while, you just begin to respect this, this person is someone I want to learn from. They, they are dialed into the things that they need to be dialed into. Some, not all wealthy people, but some of the most cruel people I've ever met were incredibly wealthy. Just, just so terrible, you know, to me directly in my family. Horrible. You know, one of the wealthiest men I've ever known fired me for being a Christian. You know, I, I made massive changes to his product, to his business, dramatically improved shop performance and all that we were doing. I'd had two conversations with him about the Lord in the two plus years that I worked for him. He started both of them. No, no kidding. He started both of them, mocking me, but he started them. And I finished them. And he was offended by that. And he fired me. Just literally walked out in the shop and you're fired for being a Christian. And if you're sitting there wondering, the state of Maine allows for that. So, you know, an employer can say no religion in my workplace. If they say, you know, Christianity alone, then that's prejudice. But if they say no religion, then that's allowed. I was unaware of that until I called the, you know, labor department. And they were like, yeah, it's things to be you. So, you know, whatever. Hateful destructive you know we we get the wrong impression about what it means to be successful so the rich man also fade away in his pursuits blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the lord has promised to those who love him the lord equates loving him with obedience did you notice that and the scripture says that, those that love me, obey me. He, he makes them synonymous. That's important for us to understand, enduring temptation and obeying him. 
When he's approved, he will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted. So in regard to this temptation, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. And if you're sitting there thinking, that's ridiculous. Who would blame God for their temptation? Well, hear what he says. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And here's the punchline. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own own desires and enticed then when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death your temptation comes from you darn it i'd like to be able to blame someone else and the world does that a lot I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic, and it's not my fault. <clears throat> it's a disease. Can't really blame me, right? I mean, what are you going to do? Slap the guy who has liver failure and spit in his face? It's a disease. Can't blame me. Let's be clear about some history here. It was always a person's choice. And the world knew that. Up until you come to Bill Wilson, who created AA. <clears throat> Bill Wilson learned that from a doctor who taught Bill Wilson, your alcoholism is not your fault. It's an allergic reaction to alcohol. I'm not making this up, okay? There's a book that you can get. It's now available for free as a PDF. It's called 12 Steps to Destruction. And they document the history and the development of AA and NA. The doctor who taught Bill Wilson that after Bill had completely embraced that concept, that it wasn't his fault, he had an illness, and he had begun the process of developing the organization <clears throat> which would become Alcoholics Anonymous, the doctor who had taught him that was stripped of his license for other malpractice. The guy was a quack. And he was convinced that, no, no, all these people that have alcoholism, that's because it's an allergic reaction to alcohol. Guess what? Today we really understand allergy. And alcoholism is not an allergic reaction to alcohol. <clears throat> right? It's quite the opposite. You really enjoy it. That's the problem, which is what this is saying right here. Your sin is not anyone else's fault or anything else's fault. It is your fault. You like it. And you want it. And you're sitting here right now saying, I wish I didn't like it. I wish I didn't want it. Amen. Right. And so we go back to what we said earlier. You need the Holy Spirit literally in your body so that you would develop self-control. And I say that as someone who has been delivered from alcoholism and drug addiction. 
And there's at least one witness in this room to my previous behavior. Thanks, Mom. <clears throat> you know, she was present when they came with the ambulance and strapped me to the stretcher because I was out of my mind on LSD in her home. Took me away to Kelly 5 at Eastern Maine Medical Center. Spent the next 30 days there. Christ has delivered me. Those things are not part of my life. I say delivered me by giving me self-control. Self-control. The desire, right, is mostly gone. But at times when things, right, it's weird. Doesn't, like any of us that have struggled with addiction, isn't it weird how it'll hit you sometimes? You're saying, no, oh, how about this? It's the perfect fall morning. The atmosphere is just the right temperature. You know, what you're smelling is just right. You have a cup of coffee in your hand, and the cigarette smoke wafts in front of you, and you think, yeah, that would be good. But you've been delivered from it. And so you have to exhibit self-control and not rush out and get yourself a pack of Marlboros or whatever you were going to do. Self-control, right? I get how these things sneak up on us. Our problem is our own desire. Look. I'll, I'll try to be as generic as I can. I have someone that I know. They're not here, but they might be watching. So I'm trying to be really careful. Who has a very profound problem with gambling. Right? I have no problem with gambling. Zero problem. with Zero. Right? Like to spend... One dime on taking a chance to get more dimes, it to me is like the dumbest thing in the world. I have no problem with gambling at all. This person that I'm referring to has destroyed their life with gambling and their family with gambling and their parents' lives with gambling. Not in a minor way. When you're laying down more than $100,000 on a single football game, you got a problem. But when I take all of my money and spend it on marijuana, it's understandable to me, you know. <laughs> Years ago. Makes sense. <laughs> to him, he's like, you are an idiot. Why would you ever let that thing control your life? And I look over at him and go, and why would you ever let that thing control your life? Right? He's got a desire I don't have. I had a desire that he didn't have. You have desires that are probably sinful, some of them. And that's the problem. We need to be changed. My illustration, do this in jail when I'm teaching the guys. My illustration is, right? Set the magnet down on the table. Pour the BBs out on the table, and they all go right up to the magnet. Right? And it doesn't matter. Like, you can put a barrier in place, right? You know? Like, no access to the magnet. <laughs> you can't have alcohol. You know? That BB is going to go bang, right up to the barrier. <laughs> and if you remove the barrier, it's going right to the magnet. 
See, the character of the baby has to change. We have to be born again. Pour out the plastic pellets on the table, and they don't move towards the magnet at all. My character has to change so that I don't have these desires anymore. I do need to put barriers in place, but I need the Lord to change me. And as long as you're going to sit around and blame somebody else, then you're never looking for the Lord to change you, right? I've literally heard people say, my father used to beat me. And so that's why I beat people. Oh, so you're blaming your sin on someone else. Not my fault, therefore I can continue to do it. No, no, no. It is your fault. And you need to change. Our sin comes from our own desires. You want to say that molded you and shaped you? Fine. But that's how you that's who you are today. And that's what needs to change. You. You. I just I hate to bring children's movies into it for illustration, but if you've seen How to Train Your Dragon, Daniel, right? <clears throat> and the old blacksmith says to the young character Hiccup, <laughs> forgive me for going this far. He says, really, what needs to change is uh, all of this, <laughs> as he gestures. And he says, do you know that you just gestured to all of me? And the kids, you know, the blacksmith says, yeah. We need, we need to be changed entirely, everything about us. And you're never going to accomplish it, right? Rehab doesn't do that. Rehabilitate the old thing. Uh, that that's a half measure, right? Renew. Oh, I was, you know, all broken down and old, and now we've renewed. I don't want renew. I want reborn, new altogether, different. Old man died. We buried him in the baptismal tank, and we raised the new one back to life. And we live a new life in Christ set free from those old things. So to whatever degree this has application to you, please take it home and meditate upon it. You know, my biggest problem is me. Your biggest problem is probably you. And we need to be changed by the power of the living God. That's what needs to happen in our lives. Amen? Amen. So that's as far as we're going to get this evening. So uh, we'll pick up at verse 16 uh, when we're together next week. We'll stand and pray. Father God, we are grateful for your love and your work in our lives. And Lord, I pray that somehow this would make sense to the people here and the people listening that uh, they would find application for your word and find the strength to submit to your spirit and to your will. Lord, we have to admit that it's sort of discouraging at times. We want to obey you. 
and we still wrestle with our flesh. Give us victory. Lord, we appreciate all the levels of victory you've given us so far. But when we examine ourselves against your perfection, we recognize how far we fall short. Pour your spirit out upon us that we would be more like your son and less like ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.